Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, happy Monday to everybody, wherever you may be. I must tell you, this is Marshall Waiteka, in case you didn't know that. I think you do. It is 88 degrees at my house right now. I literally need to have air conditioning on upstairs. It's so warm. It's so bizarre. But my show isn't about weather today. My show is about my guest, Jerome Gaw. And I want to welcome you to the show, Jerome. Thank you, Marcia. It's good to be here. Thank you. I want people to know, you know, so sometimes social media gets such a bad rap. But if it wasn't for social media, you and I would have never met because you and I truly share the love of photography and particularly birds. And that's how I came to know you. And that's how this all developed. And I know that there's more to you than a photographer and a bird lover. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to learn about you, Jerome, and we're going to learn about what makes you tick. So maybe we could just start off by having you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you. Sure. Um, I've lived in California for almost my entire life. Uh, I was born in Hong Kong uh, and moved here with my family when I was uh, about a year old. And so I grew up here in wonderful California. Um, you know, as a kid growing up, I, I, ha- I had a, was lucky to be able to grow up with my parents and my older brothers to get to see a lot of really interesting things around the state. Um, I was educated in public schools here. And for college, I went to UC Santa Barbara and then uh, worked for a little bit. And then I went back to school to Cal State LA and I got a degree in social work. And that's where I ended up uh, doing my, my job. And, and, and that's your, as, as, a, as a licensed clinical social worker, right? Yes, that's right. So, I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, it's, it, there's a, there, I know people are just called LCSWs, but I had to look that up to see what that meant. So what exactly does, does, a, does a social worker do? What does your job entail? So social work is a pretty broad profession, but uh, I guess in brief, we, uh, we work with uh, mental health and we work with communities. So our focus is on human beings and their environment meaning their communities, uh, their cultural environments, and um, family environments. And we work with with them to uh, promote good mental health, wellness, and well-being um, through different methods. So obviously, you you know, people are probably familiar with, like, uh, talk therapy. Um, So we do some of that. But there are also social workers who work on sort of larger community levels. They can organize communities. They can work in a lot of different contexts, but all of it is to promote the wellness and well-being of people in their environments. I see. Do you work primarily with children yourself, or do you work with families? I work primarily with um, 
with youth in the foster care system who are what we would call transitional aged. So um, in California, uh, foster care is, has been extended from age 18 to age 21. So these are youth who are not are or were, were not able to uh, stay with their families um, and who may or, or may not have been adopted or they may have had disruptive disrupted adoptions um, who are kind of trying to find their way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state legally will, um, you know, oh, uh, my take friend. care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor um, because sometimes uh-huh. this does happen. This is a live show and I'm just going to just tell you, I know that you have earbuds and you're speaking with yes. your earbuds. Um, sometimes the the communication drops a little bit. So if you if okay. you're not if you don't object, if you could just speak directly into your phone, that would be really super. And I would I would just appreciate that just so that it's a nice clear um, um, sound. Uh, what I sure. but I so I understand. That, thank you. So I understand that you're a social worker and that you work primarily with youth in the foster care system, which is really important. But what I'd also be curious to know is I know also about you is that you are very interested in conservation education, and I would be interested in knowing how did you get started in the conservation education side of your interest in life? Sure. Yeah, so throughout uh, most of my life, uh, I was, you know, outdoors. I went to the beach a lot as a kid. And, um, you know, I started conservation education at the Aquarium of the Pacific, uh, where I still am an education volunteer. Uh, I've been doing that for about five years. And so I guess the opportunity came up. I saw it and I thought, well, it would be cool to be at the aquarium on a regular basis. And uh, so that's what I do. Um, it's been really enlightening. It's added like a whole bunch of really cool things to my life, people I've met and things that I've learned about not just uh, the earth and the ocean and birds, but also just in terms of how people think, um, what motivates people, what people care about. Um, and so uh, I've been doing that. And then, you know, as I've been a volunteer at the aquarium, it's th- that uh, part of it has also expanded into other areas. For those people that are local, it is an absolute gem to go to Long Beach, to the Aquarium of the Pacific. I've been there um, a couple of times in the last year or so, and each time I have a different experience based on the exhibits that are happening. And if you do love birds, uh, I mean, what just occurs to me just right now, what vision just came into my mind, is when you first walk in and before you people think of aquarium you're only going to see water but you have the most remarkable um uh what is it what do you call that where all the birds are where all the parrots are aviary is that what is that what you would call that right there on the left hand side right. when you're first walking in is, and and you can have parrots just land on your hand in fact there's a picture of you with parrots on your shoulder i think but they are <laughs> that is so beautiful and they're, they're not discouraged with photography, and you can see all kinds of things there. And frankly, for those of us that really are somewhat local, you can even take the Metrolink and get off at the end of that line and walk to the aquarium, which is what I did the last time. It's a, it's a beautiful place. I can see why you, why you love it so much. I, I, it really is pretty cool. How? Yeah. I know I, I don't I don't even if somebody was to ask me this question, I don't know if I could answer this, but I'm gonna ask you this. 
how did you develop your interest in birds? Where did that, how did that start for you? Uh, actually, pretty late in my life. I'm 41 years old, and I think I started being interested in birds in my mid to late 30s. So not very long in a relative sense. Um, I actually was going on a trip with my dad and mom to Vancouver, and I wanted to go on a whale watch. And this does connect to mm. birds. <laughs> but so what happened yeah, was I, believe I thought, it. well, <laughs> I, thought I, should, uh, I should get a camera in case I see any uh, orcas. And so I bought a camera just online, not knowing a lot about cameras or about photography. And, well, I don't live that near the ocean, but I wanted to learn to use the camera. So I just went to the park with my camera and started looking around. And I saw, I still remember that day, February 29th, 2016, I think. And I saw <laughs> a crow. I saw a white-crowned sparrow. And I saw a couple of other birds. And I just started, you know, well, these are moving objects. These are oh animals. God. They're living things. I've, and so, okay, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? No, every once in a while, I'm sorry. I just, I, I, I heard crow, I heard sparrow, and then I had some empty space. So what did you see after you saw the sparrow? A crow, a white-crowned sparrow. I saw hummingbirds. And so mm-hmm. it just seemed like I can use these to, um, to practice taking pictures of moving things. Um, and so that kept going on. I, I ended up going on my trip to Canada. I didn't see any orcas. <laughs> but when I came back, I, uh, I just I just started um, getting more interested in birds and the lives that they have. Well, I must tell you, if you just got your first camera in 2016, you must be a quick learner because <laughs> your your photography. And I'll just let people know while you do not have a website. You you do have a presence on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And on Facebook, you're Jerome L. G. A. W. On Twitter, you are at C. A. As in California, C. A. Scrub J. And you use that same um, those same words for your Instagram uh, post as well. And I was just mentioning to you before we went on the air that you had this fabulous picture on Instagram of a pelican, which is one of my favorite birds to photograph. And um, you really do a beautiful, beautiful job. And it's funny when you said the white-crowned sparrow, I get a lot of those in my yard. I don't think I'm ever without my camera. I, I, I prefer to use a camera as opposed to my phone, but there are just times when... You just have to pull out your your phone. And as this is a sidebar, you know on Facebook how you get these memories that will come up and, and it'll say how many years ago this happened or that happened. Uh, for those sure. of you that follow me on my Born to Talk radio show Facebook page or on the Marsha Berger Waiteka Facebook page, five years ago today was a photo of a bunch of, uh, well, just one, of a Cooper's Hawk that came into my yard. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of those up close and personal, but they're pretty magnificent looking with a really wimpy bird cry that it's like, really? (laughs) You big, you big sort of imposing with those claws and you look like you could just 
uh, you know, pick up somebody's dog. Um, they make the <laughs> wimpiest sound. It's just so crazy. But it, but it, that's the beauty of photography that we can go back and look at our own photos and share if we choose. And um, I just think that that's something that you and I both really enjoy. I mentioned uh-huh. at the top of the hour that um, the, you are part of the California Naturalist Program, that you are actually certified in that program. And so you really did take your interests in the outdoors pretty seriously. So for people like myself that wasn't really, didn't know a lot about this program, let's, let's talk about that. Let, what, what is that and how, how does, just tell us about that program. Sure. Yeah, the California Naturalist Program is put on by the University of California Department of Agricultural and Natural Resources, and it's a certification program that's open to anybody. Uh, they have many sites throughout the state, um, and it's a curriculum, an educational curriculum that uh, helps people to develop an understanding of the u- uniqueness of California and um, and it empowers people in many different ways to contribute to their communities uh, through, you know, teaching, through service projects, uh, program development, um, really any way that, uh, that they choose. Um, so in the program, in my class, there were some people who were professional scientists or science educators, and then there were just community people who were interested, um, like me. And so you get a pretty diverse group of people that you get to, uh, interact with and get to know, and then um, you, uh, we completed a capstone project. It was a group project, so my group had three people, and we worked with the Catalina Conservancy to uh, help them work on some of their educational materials. And um, so, yeah, we used the things that we learned, uh, not just you know science facts, but also ways of interpretation and ways of education. Um, to to help and contribute to to communities to promote uh, conservation of natural resources and environmental stewardship. Interesting. Uh, you use the word capstone project. I don't. Is that a specific type of project? I'm not familiar with that term. Oh sure. I mean, it, it was sort of just like the culmination of our work to show that we had, you know, to make use of the things that we had learned in the program, and um, so. You know, ours was working with a with a educational um, program that was already existing. Some people worked with um, you know local organizations to develop those things. Some people worked on just things like clearing out invasive plants, um, you know, replanting, you know, all, all different kinds of things. So it's very open. Uh, there are about I think about between three and four thousand California naturalists throughout the state. So it's a pretty big and it's an expanding community. Oh, no kidding. And so be, be, I, I'm curious about things I don't know about. I suppose that's what makes me want to have, have a podcast. Is, sure. this an, is this an online program? Is this, some, is this a place that you go and have cohorts? How, how does the program work itself physically? How do you do that? Where do you go? Uh, sure, sure. So um, the California Naturalist Program partners with uh, different organizations throughout the state. Uh, and so they host, uh, it's an in-person class, and, you know, uh, depending on how it's organized, you, you do a total of 40 hours. Uh, for my program, that was a weekly Saturday class that lasted, I guess, about two or three months. Um, some of the programs are 
located in, in areas where people go and they stay for a week. So they do all the, the curriculum within that week. Um, and so these are located in areas uh, throughout the state that, are, that sort of have different um, characteristics. Uh, and so, so the programs are set up according to uh, what's available there. And they, they tend to focus on that geographical area. So mine happened to be in, uh, centered in the Dominguez Rancho Adobe, which is in the city of Compton. You know, it's a kind of oh. a small piece of land. Yeah. And so we mm-hmm. learned a lot about, mostly about like the South Bay area, which is, you know, pretty relevant. And uh, so, so we got to do a lot of our work there, but we went to other to field trips, you know, at Gardena Willows, at Madrona Marsh. And we heard from different people uh, in each of those places. That's interesting. I, I had never been to the Madrona Marsh until about two or three years ago. Um, oh, like uh-huh. you said, it's in that, in that South Bay area. And it, it really is great. And, you know, I realize um, it's very clear that, you know, you and I live in proximity one to one another, although I believe you live in, you live in San Gabriel. Is that where you live? And I'm yes, and I'm right. closer. Is that, is that right? And I live um, in Los Angeles, close to the airport. So we we have we're about an hour apart from one another. But mm-hmm. for those people that live in another part of the country, I, I'm I don't know. Do do other states have naturalist programs that they also can, can that that they offer? Are you aware of any of that of anything like that? Yes, to my understanding, other states do have uh, similar naturalist training programs, and uh, it stems from just a, you know uh, the importance of of involving regular people in in you know conserving natural resources and understanding um, the beauties of their, where they live. You know, California is a really interesting place with so much biodiversity, and so to appreciate that and to understand a little bit about it and to continue to learn and grow. Um, is a real benefit. It does so many really cool things. So, the, so you know, what I, I always really love this part of my show when people are in a field that's different than mine and use very comfortable vocabulary words that maybe I don't know or maybe somebody else doesn't know. So this gives us all an opportunity to be educated for those of us that cannot define biodiversity, what does that mean? Oh, sure. Yeah, so biodiversity um, is really just the sort of the differences between living things. So there might be a place, a state or a city or any type of locale where you might see one or two species of, of not just, you know, animals that we might be aware of, but even down to uh, small things like mosses and, you know, other, other living things. Um, California, because it's such a big state with uh, all kinds of uh, bioregions, you know, um, we have so much biodiversity. Uh, we have so many different types of living things, animals, plants. Um, and so, you know, that's a, it's a real benefit. And it's, it's, it has a lot to do with the different climates, the different types of weather that we have in different areas of the state. Um, and so we're really lucky to be here. And um, on the other hand, or on the other side of that, is to protect that biodiversity. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty complicated because of the way that things mm-hmm. work together. And um, you know, one of the major things is, is habitat. So where all these things live, not just humans, but the the other living things around us, 
Um, there's a lot of development. And, you know, we, we have to be really careful about how we develop and how much we develop um, in order to protect uh, biodiversity. Because, you know, when there's more living things, those, each, each of those things has its own set of needs. Um, and so we t have to take into consideration all those needs to find ways to, uh, to do what we, we need to do as human beings or would like to do um, and balance that out with making sure that uh, this is still a place where all these things can exist and can do well and thrive. You know, it's, it's interesting. I'm going to localize this next comment. A couple of things come right to my mind. Two things. One, the poppies that happened down south of us and how and people's joy of being part of the poppies that were just more than we've ever experienced, they were trampled, and the painted uh -huh. lady butterflies, not to mention right. other butterflies that um, are becoming less and less um, visible in our, in our system here. And for those of you that don't live here, um, I don't, did you, did you, where you were, did you see a lot of the painted, um, painted lady butterflies? Um, is that the painted ladies, right? Is the name of it, isn't it? Yeah. Uh -huh. Or did I get that? Yeah. Okay. yeah did you saw... see them? This, this, yeah, they were just, they were migrating for those of you that aren't familiar <laughs> right. with this. They were migrating to Mexico, I believe. Right. And there were uh, just yes. swarms of them. And sadly there were so many, and they ended up, unfortunately, not by any malice or devious behavior, but just roadkill, just windshields on trucks and cars. And, oh, my gosh, you know, it was just it was a really terrible thing that happened that just couldn't be avoided. Much differently, I suppose, than what you could say about the beautiful poppies, which is our state flower that probably could have been monitored a slightly differently because I think a lot of that area was, was trampled and that's, that's, that's unfortunate, but I guess we learned by all of these situations, right? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with appreciating uh, natural things and poppies are definitely one of the most beautiful and visible things that we can see, especially after, you know, a rainy season that, that like we had. Um, but, you know, part of what uh, environmental education and uh, nature observation hopefully will do for people is to give them appreciation and a respect for these things so that they'll understand why. You know, it's easy to just say, don't do this. But if we can help people to understand why it's important to, to do the right thing and to help preserve things, then they'll be much more motivated and they'll be able to understand and share that with other people. So it's a, it's a community effort. It's not like a secret club that we don't want people to know about. We want everybody to be right. invited and included. That's, that's, that's so true. Do you, so once you become certified, then do you, is that, then you just move forward with that? Do, are there other additional classes that you can ever take or, or are you just, there and done after your 40 hours worth of education um well so i uh we the, we do try to maintain um a certain number of volunteer hours uh you know every calendar year and for doing that you get a little pin so that's kind of fun um hopefully the mm -hmm. Cal california nationalist program opens up opportunities for people uh to to meet people from different organizations and so they can volunteer time uh, to do you know, doing education or doing 
habitat restoration or any other type of thing like that. Um, and then there are, uh, there are additional classes for people who want to get more in depth in like a certain topic. And then they also have a yearly um, meeting of California naturalists, uh, different parts of the state where people can go and, uh, and sort of meet together and learn things and contribute to one another's uh, work and, and just to get to get to know other people who are interested in similar things. Well, that's great. I want to, before we move over to sort of the photography side of life, which I obviously really want to talk to you about, I want to go back to sure. the aquarium for just one moment. Because you are a naturalist and you are interested in habitat, are you ever involved with any of, by involved I don't mean are you the medical staff, but do you, are, are, do you get to educate people when they come through about what's happening, say, with the environment in our water where there's a lot of um, plastic. In California, no, we, I think we lead the country in some of this. You know, we no longer can get straws. We, you have to ask for a paper straw. We don't do plastic straws. I don't know if I, I'm probably mistaking. It's probably not the whole state, but it's certainly here in Los Angeles. We don't provide yeah. plastic bags anymore. You need to bring your own bags. But a lot of this runoff, you know, I live very close to the water and you can go down to the water and you can just look and see things floating. This must really have a profound effect on the sea life that's very near to the um, the aquarium, I would think. Uh, yeah, it definitely does. And um, part of what the aquarium does as a nonprofit organization, it's not just a fun place to meet animals, you know, and to learn about how, how they're cared for, but it's also a place where we educate people about conservation and what they can do in their own uh, communities and their own homes and their families. So uh, it's an opportunity not only to see cool stuff, but also to learn about what's, uh, what's possible, you know, so uh, a lot of times uh, the aquarium has events uh, that are attended by, you know, city of Long Beach and other organizations to talk about what they're doing and what other people who are visiting can do. Um, well, you know, like I said, so much of this is about including people and inviting them in. Uh, the people may not know, they might think that it's only, you know, scientists, people who study have, have education, educational backgrounds in science and things like that. But really, if we're going to um, do the right thing and help to uh, keep, keep our communities safe and clean and healthy for everybody and every living thing, then it, it's going to need everybody's participation. Yes, I agree. Are there particular goals, like when you have your yearly meeting and you gather with the, the others, <clears throat> do you talk about, are there statewide goals that, that you work towards, or is it based on each sort of city municipality? That's a good question that I don't know if I can answer. <laughs> well, what, um, well what, I, me, I, what's your goal? You maybe, you know, you're, you're a naturalist, uh-huh. but, but go ahead. Give me, give me your best shot. <laughs> what's my goal? <laughs> my goal is, is, you know, just to, to uh, you know, grow in my, for my personal goal is to continue to learn about um, uh, the, the California natural stuff. So, you know, about uh, wildlife, things like water. I'm really interested in that. Um, things like, uh, uh, you know, biodiversity in the state. Of course, you know, fire is an interesting topic. So a lot of these mm-hmm. areas that I don't know a lot about or didn't know a lot about when I started California naturalist, I'm still learning. 
And for me, mm-hmm. the best way to do that is to, to learn from other people. And so, you know, it, when you think about how it can be community-based, and we're talking about depending on other people so we can learn. Um, and uh, so, so uh, those are, I guess, individual goals. And then on a wider scale, I want to help other people to understand it. Uh, and I want to encourage and empower them to go and observe nature, to find what's interesting to them, and then to be a part of um, helping to conserve it and helping to um, make it healthier and to make it better for everybody. Isn't it interesting? I'm thinking about two things. Like I said, you and I have very shared interests. I don't think there's anybody that would look forward or volunteer to say, may I just walk through that spider web over there because it doesn't really bother me, (laughs) even though that's big orb spiders hanging from it and it's about the size of a dinosaur um you know i i don't want to kill spiders i really don't in fact i don't kill spiders however Uh please don't hang in front of me as i'm walking to my car you know it's just (laughs) creepy and they and they're just and and i'm but i will just like you just yesterday i was out there going what is that is that a ladybug and i thought oh no that is not a ladybug Yes, it's red on the top, kind of like a ladybug, but guess what? Do you see how many legs it has? I don't think that's a ladybug, my friend. That is a spider. And and Jumping then once spider, I respected probably. that it was, what kind? Jumping what, spider. What kind of Because they have a red butt. Maybe. Yes, the whole back was red, and and but the legs were gray. And so, uh-huh. I mean, if I could have gotten much closer to it, I'd have been kissing it. And I was just getting closer, closer. It's just like, wait, hold still, hold still. And then there was like a leaf that was a shadow. Okay, you're a photographer. You know, it's like, oh, this leaf is like getting in the way. And but I still did it. The same with the bees. When I had my yard landscaped, and I said to the landscaper, you know, this is what I'm. This is my vision. Blah blah blah. But I don't don't I don't want any bees in my yard. And she looked at me like you're crazy. And boy, yeah. did I get over that notion in a hurry. Now. I mean, I don't want to be coming into my house any more than I want a mosquito coming into my house. But um, I am mesmerized by the bees. And, boy, that certainly is an issue today, isn't it, and the lack thereof. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, bees are important. Every, You know, all these things are important. And, you know, just to, as a kind of in the same vein, um, native plant gardening is a big thing. You know, people are replacing their yards or uh, even doing new yards using California native plants. There are a lot of advantages to that in terms of mm-hmm. care and maintenance because once California native plants are established, they are already adapted to California climate. So once they're set up, they don't require the same type of watering as like a green lawn, you know, non-native grass would be and then at the same time they also attract pollinators so you know uh, insects and birds that come to feed um, so your yard can end up coming to life that way you know it's it's definitely uh, something that people are interested in having and it really does sort of beautify um, people's homes and you know it's something that that people might be interested in well I can tell you I also have a fountain and so there are certainly people like myself that love the hummingbirds and, and really yeah. make that um, sugar water and do all of that and have the feeders. I don't do any of that. I don't need to do any of that yeah. because the bottle brush in my yard is right. um, the flyby. They go to the bottle brush. They go to the fountain. They sit up on the fountain. They drink. <laughs> they bathe. And all I need to do is just keep the water clean 
and you know I get everything from the hummingbirds to the crows and the scrub jays that will the finches that will take a bath in my in my fountain and drink in my fountain and it absolutely without a doubt as you just said it absolutely enhances my personal life I don't care that there's 15 crows in my yard you know eating the peanuts (laughs) that I put out for them and yes they make a mess and yes they are loud and yes they are but boy they are smart and boy they are interesting to watch when they take care of each other and they're you know they're preening each other's necks and and I mean, I just love it. I mean, I, I, I do. I, I really do love it. And maybe I don't think I can add one more thing to my lifestyle, but I could see where being in a program like yours would probably be great for somebody like me or, or birders or Audubon people, you know, di- lots of different organizations, you know, that, that love this kind of stuff. I would even, do you have to be an adult to take this program? This, this program can, can you be a, a high school student? Could you be a, a, an eagle? Somebody looking for an eagle scout or a girl scout getting a golden oak award? Could could they be that young, or do they have to be over eighteen? I think in the program that I participated in, there was somebody who wasn't eighteen, but seemed to be a high school student. I think I'm pretty sure he was, and I think that well, just that would required be, yeah. like a per- he just he just required like a parental permission. You know, just Got for, it. you know, legal purposes, probably. So, any, uh, yeah, it seems like anybody who is, and I don't want to answer for CalNet if that's wrong. But sure, <laughs> anybody I understand. Who, uh, I do understand. Who, who has an interest in, right, but anybody who has an interest that's able to understand and be part of it, I think, is welcome to participate. Terrific. So let me ask you this. Is there a connection between what you do as, as a medical health practitioner and your interest in nature, can, do you combine that? Um, I try to. Um, there are some, you know, professional boundaries I have to hold. But I think it's definitely been uh, uh, more of a movement within mental health to acknowledge that, you know, um, that, you know obviously talk therapy and, um, you know, medication sometimes can be effective to help people's mental health. But so can just being outside, so can experiencing trees and wildlife. Those are all things that can promote uh, a sense of well-being um, that can help uh, people learn patience and all these other really important and useful things. You know, being outside it can just be a really calming thing, you know, and sometimes that's what, that's what people need. I would, I would so agree with you. Regardless, I mean, realizing that you are really working with some troubled youth, sometimes just simply stepping outside, perhaps taking a deep cleansing breath, kind of like what we learn in yoga, being mindful, and just looking up. It's so dark right now. The time hasn't changed. Our time changes on November the 3rd. So very early in the morning when I'm outside walking, it is dark. I mean, it's still nighttime, <laughs> and right. to just look up and see the moon, see the stars, and just appreciate, that's in the dark, in the daytime. You know, sometimes the moon has still been in the western sky for us um, when the sky is blue and the sun's coming up on the west, I mean the east, you look into the west and you've got, isn't that the moon? What's, what's this still doing out? You know, or just right. hearing the birds, or like you say, trees. We have some beautiful, beautiful trees here. There are people that have never seen a jacaranda tree. 
we're very familiar with those. And while, yes, I I would love to be in New England appreciating the maples and the beautiful fall foliage, it's not a reality for me because I don't live there. But I could I could see, it doesn't surprise me that that you could combine the calming effect of, of, of nature in your practice. I think that that's, that's a really, it's a beautiful thing to recognize and that, and it's something that you can do. So you personally can do so naturally, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> let's talk, because it just happened that way. So let's talk <laughs> about your interest in photography because it hasn't been very long. So I guess the first question I want to ask you, maybe other people would we'll, we'll be curious too, especially if they go to your sites. So, you know, it's kind of like in the old days. You drove a Ford or you drove a Chevy. You'd use a Canon, uh-huh. you use a Nikon. I don't use either. <laughs> um, and I uh-huh. don't drive a Ford or a Chevy for that matter as well. Um, so what kind of camera do you use? I'm just curious. Sure, yeah. Um, and actually that turned out to be a pretty important decision in terms of what I am able and comfortable with doing. I'm using an mm-hmm. all-in-one camera. It's a Sony RX10. Um, it's actually just a fixed-lens camera, so it's not the kind that you can change lenses, but it has a very wide uh, zoom range. Um, so that's how I'm able to get pretty close-up pictures of, of birds. Um, it's very lightweight, and that was the main concern for me because uh, when I go, I carry binoculars always, and so to carry camera and binoculars can get pretty heavy around the neck. So this camera mm-hmm. really saved my life <laughs> in terms of like yes. giving me something that I can take all the time uh, with me in case, you know, something interesting happens and um, that it works well. It takes pictures. And, you know, the main thing about any camera, it doesn't matter what brand it is or how fancy or whatever it is. It's just getting to know what, it, what its strengths are and how to take advantage of, of those strengths. Um, so anytime you spend, spend time with your camera, it'll help you develop your photographic skills. Did you, did you, uh, I'm not that I'm, I guess it's going to, I was not that I'm plugging them, but I'm about to. Um, (laughs) One of the big camera stores here is Sammy's camera. And I think that there are more than one location and that's where I've purchased my cameras. And yeah, you can get them at Best Buy and other places like that, but you don't get quite Uh the assistance as you might get at a camera store. And they do, provide uh, classes. I don't use the Sony all-in-one. I personally use the Lumix, the Panasonic all-in-one as well. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not removing lenses and um, doing all of those things. I like to keep it kind of simple. I actually have two Panasonic uh, cameras. But did you take any classes? When you bought your camera, did you take advantage of any classes that might have been offered where you purchased it? didn't (laughs) i just went out and took a lot of pictures (laughs) wow well some people teach themselves they'll go to youtube and they'll just become experts in just about anything um i'm just too i'm too lazy to do that frankly so uh, oftentimes i just want somebody to show me and tell me and and do all of those things do you do you then take your photos to your computer and do some kind of cropping or any of those kinds of things what what do you what do you do after you've taken your pictures yeah, not a lot so mostly just photo cropping i have to admit i don't know a lot about software um because okay. you know my computer is pretty old 
it doesn't mm-hmm. have a lot of space on it. And so I don't, mm-hmm. but you know, the main thing I think that helped me to develop, to develop it and still, still now to this day, I'm hopefully getting better is looking at other photos and, uh, and trying to understand what it is I like about them, you know? Um, and really the bird photography thing for me was about being able to identify birds. Like I could take a picture of something that I don't know what it is. And then later on I can go home and, uh, learn something, find out what it is, find out about its life. And then the next time I come back and see it again, then I know that bird a little bit better. Um, so it's been a really useful tool, not just to sort of take beautiful pictures, I hope, but also to study and to learn about things. You know, you get to capture uh, moments, and um, those are useful in a lot of different ways. I agree. And before you know it, I don't know if you've experienced this, um, you know, birds are definitely, I'm not a people person. I'm not going to go out and take a bunch of people of pictures of people. Typically I, that isn't where my interest lies, but I, I could take a picture of a snail or I could take a picture of a dragonfly, you know, and just be just in awe of something like that. And I'm just thrilled. And I have, I have my route. Do you have, do you have your, if I was to join you and you said, "Come on, spend the day with me, Marcia," I'm gonna, I'm gonna enter, I'm gonna enter you into my world. Do you have specific places that you like to go? I definitely do. Um, I go to the Los Angeles Arboretum, which is not that far from me, um, pretty mm-hmm. frequently. Um, and then around here, we have you know Peck Road Water Conservation Park, which is you know it's like a big reservoir, and so especially this time of year during fall migration. Um, you'll you'll see a lot of different birds that are stopping by. You know, if they're traveling someplace, um, if they see a big body of water with a lot of trees, a lot of times that's a place that they'll stop over, um, you know, to, to get rest and to, to feed so that they can continue on their trip. Um, so any place with water and trees um, is a good place for birds. And, you know, the main thing is, I guess, you know, sort of part of what I want to do is, you know, to help people understand, you don't have to go really far to find birds or interesting wildlife or trees. Uh, they exist everywhere. And um, mm-hmm. we want to keep it that way. We want more of that, you know, because again, Absolutely. These, these places have so much benefit for us. Yes. You know, it's funny. Um, there is a difference between a bird photographer and a bird watcher. And it sounds to me like, my friend, you are a combo. You aren't going to see binoculars around my neck. But I would definitely say that my birder friends, they're not so interested. They might want to take a picture real quick so that they can identify it later, but that's their focus. They've got a, they've right. got a field book, and they are marking things off. And I've done some of the meetups with, uh, um, with, with bird walkers, and I, I can't remember if it's through the Audubon, I think it is. When they're local, yeah, they're not probably. too far away, I'll, I'll, I join up with them. And so you're kind of a combo, aren't you? You do you do it both. I try to do both, and it's I'm lucky because I don't have any kids, so I have a lot of time to myself. And so, Good. you know, some days it'll yeah, some days it'll be I'll focus on one or two things that might be interesting. Other days I'll, I'll you know want to see as many as possible, and I'm lucky that I'm able to do both and to to sort of make a choice about that. Um, you know, sure. yeah. So I don't specialize in either of those things, but I try to try to keep a good balance. Um, it, it would be hard for me to go without either binoculars or a camera, but if I had to choose, 
one or the other, I would probably choose binoculars. Yeah, but you know something? Have you have? We'll have to talk. Well, once this program is over, I would I would like to invite you to into a little bit of my world, and maybe we can do some of those things together. You can bring the binoculars, and then I'll say, <laughs> over there, over there. You know, but um, I guess you know it, it is it is something. Do you have any like just favorite? photography moments that's like oh my gosh you aren't even going to believe when this happened do, do you have any moments <laughs> like that that you can just think of um yeah well a lot and i think you know it's one one of the benefits kind of going on whether you have to go far to find birds um there's a park near my office uh that i started going to in the morning to take walks and this past year starting in about may i found um a nest of a of an aquatic bird called a pied-billed grebe so these birds look like ducks, but they're almost fully aquatic, and they lay eggs uh, in floating nests, so they almost never leave the water. So I saw a pair of them, and I found the nest, and so I would just go back every day to see what I could see. It's a little hard because the nests are pretty well concealed, but over the, the months, through about the month of July, I got to see them hatch chicks and raise the chicks. So that was something that I did over you know a couple months' time. But it was really exciting and, um, you know, kind of not expected. I, I wasn't planning on it, but it just turned out to be a really cool thing that I got to do. I bet. So if somebody wanted to get started in sort of nature observation and photography, what, what, would, you, what would you tell them? What would, would, you, would you have any advice? Sure. You know, and that's a big movement. You know, citizen science involves uh, data that's collected from just regular observers, you know. Um, so we have uh, an app that's called eBird. You know, that's a, that's a popular thing where people uh, make note yes. of what birds they've seen, and then they, they can submit photos and sounds. Those all go into a public domain library. So that's available for people, uh, researchers, and just regular people who, who want to learn. Um, so my advice would be, just take whatever you have, uh, either a phone or a camera or whatever, or borrow one if you, if you can, and uh, just go out and, and see what you see. It doesn't matter if you know what it is or not, because you can always learn. You can ask people. You can find out online. There's so many really great resources. And you'll start to see, you'll start to see a story unfold before you. I mean, it's not just mm-hmm. it's so easy to see a bird out of its context, but when you see it in the in the entirety of its life and the things around it and other birds, other living things, then you start to see that, that, you know, it's, it's a lot more complex and interesting than just, you know, a picture of a bird. Agreed. And, you know, because, because of social media today and clearly some people are not into social media and I get that. I, you and I definitely Mm -hmm. are. There, there are, there's a, um, an app called next door and somebody posted on Nextdoor last week that there was an injured hawk in their driveway that was standing underneath the car area safely by the oh, wow. wheelbase, but was not in, um, you know, so it was shaded, but injured. And the question was, what do we do? What, what do we do for this bird? I just could not believe mm-hmm. the immediate advice that was given to people that said, this is the number you call. Try not to approach it. You do want to keep it safe. If for some reason you do intend to pick it up, make sure you have on gloves. 
You might want to put a towel over its head to, to keep it from being frightened, blah, blah, blah. But there are right. all – I knew somebody that rescued a hummingbird nest, and we took it to Palos Verdes where this veterinarian has an aviary just of the rescue of hummingbirds. It's remarkable what's out there for people sure. that – that experience those kinds of, I just, it's, it's the beauty of nature. Right. And, and we both, right. we really both love that so much. Uh, I think at the aquarium, they, they have a, a veterinarian component, don't they, where they take care of like injured. We just had a whole bunch of injured seagulls recently that, that were, I don't know why they got injured or how they got ill, but there are places That's that right. do, um, help heal these 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 birds or get hooks out of their mouths or whatever might happen. Um, but I I you know I knew this hour was going to go really fast and I just I have a couple more <laughs> questions and that is I've done a lot of traveling um, and taken pictures of nature. Do you do you do you do travel or do you just find yourself so completely satisfied with wherever your car might take you on a Saturday or Sunday? <laughs> Uh, a little bit of both. So I, I got to go to the Galapagos Islands last year, which is really exciting. Um, and even in California, within our state, um, if you travel even maybe just a few miles out of where you normally go, you can see uh, different different birds. So in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go up north to the town of Lodi for the Sandhill Crane Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, Sandhill mm-hmm. Cranes migrate through, through Northern California, the Sacramento Valley. Uh, they don't usually come through Southern California. So I'm just going up a few hundred miles, I guess, and I'm um, going to check those out. So both, you know, it's not necessary to travel. Travel has like some really interesting things, but I, you know, we can definitely understand and acknowledge that not everybody is able to, or wants to, uh, you don't have to. Um, but if that's something you like to do, then that's, you know, that's also awesome. It can add to add so much to what, to what you do. I would agree. So you, I wouldn't really call, I mean, I don't know if you would call what you do a hobby, but what do you think you've learned as far as life, life lessons in your experience in nature? What do do you, how do you apply that to your life? Uh, I've learned patience um, and how to um, let things happen. So, you know, observing takes a lot of patience, a lot of quiet. So that's not, those aren't necessarily things that I'm used to, to uh, practicing in my regular life. So that's definitely been, been something I've learned. And also that there are people that, that want to help. And I, I, I think that sometimes it's difficult because we're looking at a pretty, pretty difficult um, situation on our planet, you know, with a lot of moving parts that, that we probably need to uh, work on fixing and addressing. Um, but there's so many people that, that care and want to help. And so if you are one of those people or you want to become one of those people, um, there are a lot of opportunities to do that. You know, I'm, I'm not a trained scientist, um, not a trained, you know, I'm, I guess I'm a social scientist, but like not a mm-hmm. trained biologist or anything. But I've had so many opportunities just to, to help out um, and to, to meet people who are really great. passionate. I think that's really yeah. I think that's really wonderful that you um, have that, that you know that about yourself, that you have that passion about yourself and that you know that that's something that, that you really do love. It sounds like you have a very full life 
Um, I also know something else about you. Okay. <laughs> What's that? But, well, because, you know, when you go on social media, you learn things about people. And um, there's even a picture of you, my friend. There is some connection to you. Well, I'll just, I'll let you, I'll lead it in. So when you're not uh-huh. working or you're not outside with your camera, which I love to say, I'm taking my camera for a walk, what do you like to do? <laughs> Knowing full well that uh-huh. I know that answer. Yes. Uh, Well, I've been a musician. I've been a musician for most of my life, ever since I was 12 years old. And so I played the ukulele and the guitar and the electric bass and mandolin. Anything with strings, I try my best to play. Um, And that's, that's, you know, definitely been a huge part of my life for a very long time. The ukulele. Okay, now a lot of people don't play the ukulele. Maybe when they go to Hawaii, they'll they might hear a ukulele, but you don't really sure. hear a ukulele. Do I mean I don't know? Do you? Maybe you really do hear a, a lot of ukuleles. Is that true? <laughs> I've heard it a lot in commercials lately, like uh, on the radio, yes. and the TV. <laughs> That's funny. What's your favorite yeah, of all of all those? Is it how many strings in a ukulele? Yeah. It's got four strings. Um, people, I think okay. most people would be able to learn a song within maybe an hour or so, at least one song. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I you know, it's really funny. Everybody has associations with words. Words really do matter. And I can tell you, and I'm because of because of the generation that I was born in. All right, so that explains it too. Um, <laughs> that. Um, 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 you know, I, what do you, what do you think I think of knowing that I'm considerably older than you? Um, uh, when I think of a ukulele, who do you think I think of? Tiny Tim. Do you know? Oh, Tiny that's Tim? so interesting. No, much <laughs> older than that. That's, I forgot that Tiny Tim played the ukulele. You know, I think of John okay. Ho. Oh, sure. And, yeah. um, cause I mean, I think he's kind of the one. Um, that um, that I think of when I think of ukuleles, but I forgot about Tiny Tim on the Johnny Carson show. You're right, playing the ukulele. That's sure. pretty funny. That that really uh, is great. But you like you like all stringed instruments. Did you play music even um, as a 12 year old? Did you play music when you were in school, like in high school and things like that? Yeah, I, I actually played woodwinds and brass in junior high and elementary school. Um, and started playing guitar when I was 12 and never, never really stopped. I never got really good at it, but I never stopped. Oh, I don't believe so that. That's, that's definitely part of my life. <laughs> Do you sing or you just play? Uh, yeah, I, I try to sing too. You know, I enjoy it. I definitely enjoy <laughs> it. So I guess I can leave it at that. <laughs> you know what I think about you, Jerome? Here's what I'm thinking. Here's, here's an impression I'm drawing from you. I have a feeling you're a very humble man. And and you're not going to, as a musical um, parody here, toot your own horn, you know. But I I know that that you do like it. I think you've even posted a couple of um, times where you've um, played your ukulele uh, on one of the one of the accounts. But uh, I think it's you sound like you have a very rich life. Uh, if you were going to just like look sort of back at what you've done so far in your life. And I know I didn't prepare you to, to ask this question of you, but I do like it. 
so I hope I don't throw uh-huh. you off too much. And that is, sure. what advice would you um, give your younger self? I mean, if you thought, boy, knowing what I know now, but w- would you have any advice that you would offer to yourself? <laughs> I think I would tell my, my younger self to be grateful for everything. You know, that's something that, uh, that I, I've, I've grown to, to understand more and more. You know, I'm grateful to have had my dad and mom, you know, who supported me and still do. And um, just to appreciate um, this path. You know, I feel very fortunate. Um, I haven't done anything to deserve this. I just, I'm just really lucky <laughs> and blessed and grateful. Well, I, I suspect that that's another one of those areas where I would probably disagree with you. But I think that, you know, I, I think everybody deserves that. I, I think probably one of the things that you probably experience in your professional life. I don't know many how how many hours you work um, in your social work. But you see some pretty broken children, and um, if they're in the foster program particularly, and and you, I suspect, just by the nature of who you are, and that's another one of those words that I didn't mean as a pun, but just mm-hmm. who you are as a human, and and how, I like I said, you know, sometimes I know my guests ahead of time. In, in the situation with you and I, we don't. I I absolutely look forward to a time where we can actually meet and I can take you around my areas that I love so much, which is what I did this past weekend when I had friends that I also met on social media staying in my home. And I took them over to (laughs) Kenneth Hahn Park. Are you familiar with Kenneth Hahn Park? Have Uh, you ever been there? No, I haven't been there. No, I haven't. I've heard of it. Okay. And and there are actually some pretty cool places in Long Beach parks as well because my brother and his wife mm-hmm. live in Long Beach, and I think it's El Dorado Park. And have you been there? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's another because there's water, so you get that sort right. of water bird as well as um, some of the other birds, and and um, and that's that's really great. And I love the water birds that we see. Just down at the shoreline, you know, maybe when you get off, maybe you take a walk down at Long, um, you know, after the aquarium. And, I mean, there's all kinds of beautiful um, waterways down by the aquarium where you can walk and right. and see all kinds of, of birds. It's just, it's just a beautiful thing. And, and not everybody appreciates that, and that's totally fine. I mean, maybe, you, maybe you're into hot rods and you, and you like the sound of a gas engine. I don't know. But... Sure. For me, um, nature is soothing, just like you said. It it uh, doesn't ask much from us. It just asks asks of us to be good um, Samaritans and to and to respect that Mother Nature side of life, so that for generations to follow, there are other people that will get to see a bald eagle or will get to see that pelican. You know, do you have like your favorite bird? Like, okay, I'm, this is it for me. This is for today. Because maybe <laughs> tomorrow your answer is different. But do you have that right. like favorite bird? <laughs> I just oh, man. curious. Yeah, it's hard to say. It, cha- it does change every day. And, you know, in the end, yes. you realize that all, bird, all birds are important. Um, and, you know, we want, I just want everybody, as many people as possible, to know and understand and appreciate it. I want, you know, for people to, to be able to experience it. And, and they can find their own favorite bird, and it can change every day, too. And that's totally fine. 
Absolutely, because it can. And, and I know for myself, I, I'm an owl person, but I've never had an opportunity to see a lot of owls. And uh-huh. I was walking. I live very close to Loyola Marymount University and, and walked there. Sure. And we were out early in the morning, somewhere between 6 and 7. It was like, wait, shh, be quiet. Do you hear that? Because my, I can be talking to somebody and just totally say, wait, hang on a second. Did that, you know, I, I, I just do that because I do. But I thought, right. I don't, that's not a dove. That's, no, no, no. That is, that's an owl. And, and then your eye is like flitting all over going, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? You know, and mm-hmm. then you find it. And it's like, dang, don't move. I got to get my camera. You know, I got to focus my camera on you. <laughs> uh, and uh, right. you probably can understand that, right? You can probably relate to that because owls are, yeah, both, I saw an owl last you know, week. they're nocturnal. <laughs> you did? I think I might. Where did yeah. you see your owl? Um, where at were the you? park near my office in the morning. Yeah, around 7 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Well, it's, they're pretty cool. And, you know, I yeah. don't know, I always, sometimes I, I wonder, you know, how, how, how do these birds, how are they so smart? How do they see me walking in my kitchen? How good is their eyesight? How good is their hearing? <laughs> how long do they live? You know, I mean, I have a million questions that you could probably answer someday. But <laughs> I, I do, I do, I, because I do wonder about things like that. Do you study? Do you, sure. do, will you go and look that up and you'll say, Marsha, Crow is probably one of the smartest birds out there. And, and, yeah. and I've heard that before. I've heard that they recognize people. They can recognize intention. They can recognize, mm-hmm. I saw that whole thing on Cornell where this man would go to Cornell because I, 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 um, contribute to them and I get their stuff and this guy would come every day to the parking lot with his cap on and he was so convinced that this, these crows knew him that he decided that he would come one day Did you? I don't know if you saw that without a cap on yes. completely ignored right. him completely ignored him. It's like, that isn't the dude I know. It's like the dude we know wears a cap, you know, and it was, it's, just, it's, it's fascinating. You know, I, for me yeah. to feed a squirrel or a scrub jay, I love that fact that you're scrub jay and your, um, and your um, <laughs> name, you know, I have a scrub right. jay that I feed every day. It takes that peanut right from my hand, makes my whole day. I'm so happy. But um, sure. anyway, I, I, I am so grateful that, on such a busy schedule that you have, my new friend, that you were able to take time out with me today and share something that we both truly enjoy so much together. It's it's been an honor to have you on my show, truly. I, I've loved every minute of it, and I will make sure that I link um, people to the different things, including what I will get from you when we get off the air is the eBird uh, link. That would be a great thing for, sure. for I had forgotten about it and I haven't used it for a while. So I'll make sure I include that in my blog um, to follow up, okay. including our audio link, because I think that would be terrific for people wherever they are to submit their pictures and things like that. I think that's a terrific idea. So sure. um, I just I just want to thank you once again for, for being my guest today. It's been great. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm, I'm so glad to have spoken with you. Me too. So for the rest of you, I just wish you a lovely week. I don't know if it's going to stay in the high 80s for me for the rest of the week, but wherever you are, put a smile on your face, say hello to a stranger, look up and see a bird, 
and think of Jerome and think of me. And until next time, everybody, have a great day.